Thanks so much for your continued support of Nick Luck Daily, now on episode 688. Come an awful long way since the 1st of July 2020. To give something back to you, we want to send you racing. We want to send you racing to my local racecourse, Sandown Park, and we want to do that for just £10 on one of their marquee days of the year. Life's not easy at the moment, particularly if you want to take your, your family racing, and you can buy up to four tickets for Sandown for just a tenner each. So 40 quid for a family of four to Sandown on Imperial Cup Day in the grandstand. All you have to do is go to thejockeyclub.co.uk forward slash Sandown to their page to go to Imperial Cup Day and enter the promo code NL10. And the full direct link is pinned to my Twitter profile at Nick Luck. Hope to see you at Sandown on Saturday the 11th of March if you're there for just a tenner and come and say hi. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. Wednesday, March the 1st. Slightly grey, dull, cold start to proceedings here in TW11. And it's not forecast to get a whole lot warmer in the run-up to the Cheltenham Festival, which is now 13 days away. With that in mind, executives there will be fleecing the course to try and protect it from the elements and to try and encourage some grass growth, which they've been notably short of in the in the last few weeks. So challenging times for the uh, ground staff and the clerk of the course, John Pullen, at Cheltenham. We'll be hearing more about that, no doubt, today, because today is the day that the handicap weights are released for all those races at the festival. And I'll be heading straight up there after publishing this podcast to officiate at the race course itself. So news of that tomorrow. First of all, though, as I welcome in senior writer Lee Mottishead to today's podcast, Racing Lee has failed the Prescott test. Uh, the test that Richard Hoyles and I spoke about last week, which was, of course, the proposition put forward by Sir Mark Prescott a few years ago, that once one jockey had been disqualified for use of the whip and there'd been a great furore, no jockey would ever do it again. Week two, we've got another disqualification. What's happened this time? Yeah, we all thought Sir Mark Prescott would end up being best known for Alpinista's arc, but it turns out that's not the case. Um, yes, Nick, we have got a second DQ. Um, late afternoon yesterday, the BHA released the second set of findings results from the, the WIP Review Committee. And if you were a backer of Mavis Pike uh, each way in the bumper at Newcastle on Saturday, well, you're still fine because punters uh, get paid out. That, 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 that's all done and dusted on the day. But the connections... Have lost down. That's principally Nigel Twiston Davis, the owner and the trainer, and the jockey James Turner. Uh, the Whip Review Committee found that James, who rode this mare to finish second in the race, used his whip five times over the permitted level of seven from two furlongs out. As a result, um, he received a hefty suspension, and perhaps more significantly, Mavis Pike was disqualified. Uh, from second place. Interesting again here, then therefore that the two DQs that we've had in the opening two weeks have both been um, in bumpers, relatively inexperienced jockeys and not even horses who won their respective races. 
Um, I think before you move on to the to rest of the the the, the findings, Nick, I I do think that people will question um, the use of a whip twelve times on a horse who didn't even win a bumper. And I think whilst there will be sympathy for a lot of jockeys that fall foul of the rules, I'm not necessarily certain that um, a jockey being done for uh, going over the limit when not even winning a bumper is one that will mount a massive campaign of public support. In general terms, Nick, 12 riders were referred uh, in week two of um, this process. One of the jockeys who had been referred was found to be not in breach. Uh, the Whip Review Committee found one new case that they want to look at for, de uh, for detecting a potential breach. And two of the original 12 jockeys who were referred to by racecourse stewards have not yet been dealt with because the Whip Review Committee found an additional breach uh, to look at um, with relation to those jockeys, and they will find out their fate later in the week. Uh, the BHA released a short quote uh, for the media to comment on these week two findings. They said, jockeys are clearly quickly adapting to the new rules and we praise them for this. We hope all jockeys realise that using the whip without regard for the thresholds in place could very easily lead to disqualification and to ensure that this does not happen. There is no justification for using the whip four times or more above the permitted level. There ends the quote, Nick. I think um, that opening line of the quote, jockeys are clearly quickly adapting to the new rules reflects what I think will very clearly be some BHA contentment that the the numbers from week one to week two have gone down. They've moved in the in in the right trajectory, if you as we move towards the Cheltenham Festival. There were two high-profile jockeys uh, banned for four days, Nick Tom Cannon and Sam Twist and Davis, but both those jockeys can defer those bans. And as I wrote in a piece in the Racing Post on Saturday, and as Cornelius mentioned um, in the pod earlier in the week, um, Sam had spoken very well about his offence um, at Lingfield last week and the need to uh, respond positively to it. So I think if we move from week one to week two, uh, generally speaking, I think the BHA will be pleased with how things are now going. Yeah, there's a couple of points that I noticed that, alongside that. The first is that James Turner would, in fact, likely have missed a festival ride because I think he was he was penciled in for Beauport in the Kim Muir, who'd have been a horse with a pretty good chance if if circumstances had played his way. Uh, second, that what is assumed on the day by jockeys is not always what the panel will give. Philip Armstrong had been led to believe that that his horse, Gwensilly Burbas, would be disqualified from victory in the Devon National. Not the case. Uh, the panel didn't find him in breach uh, to the point where the horse needed to be disqualified, but did find him in breach significant that he needed a 14-day suspension for both uh, overuse of the whip in terms of frequency and also hitting the horse out of stride pattern. But the horse was not disqualified, even though he'd been led to believe and, and connections had been led to believe on the day that he was. So it's dangerous to prejudge and the local stewards... Uh, would do well to to bear that in mind, uh, and and secondly that there was one such referral that that incurred no sanction from the panel. So the whole point of the the centralised panel is that you you build up a, a level of of consistency and common sense. Now 
yeah, who's to say that consistency and common sense will always be applied? All these people are are fallible. We all are. But at least it shows that what you're told on the day might not automatically be the sanctionly. And that, I guess that is a, a basis on which they need to work. I think that's right, Nick. Yeah, you, you reference uh, Philip Armson and that Devon National um, offence. The WIP Review Committee found that Philip had used his WIP three times above the permitted level of seven. Now, clearly, if three had been four, then uh, his mount would have been disqualified from that race at Exeter. And as you say uh, there, Nick, it's not necessarily the case that what racecourse stewards um, see and adjudicate on uh, on the day will be how the WIP Review Committee sees something. Um, we saw through the bedding in period of these rules that it wasn't just jockeys who were learning and adapting to the new rules. It was also officials uh, of the BHA, officials working on race courses who were also learning and adapting to the new rules. And I think it's maybe more likely that in the early stages of the WIP Review Committee's life and this new procedure uh, for assessing WIP offences, that there might be well be uh, the odd instance where what a racecourse official might think is um, a breach won't necessarily be agreed by the WIP Review Committee. And as you say, Nick, it, it also highlights the fact that there is uh, arguably some benefit um, in that regard to having a specialist team of people who are looking at this every week. There's often been um, calls in, in British racing for centralised stewarding. This is clearly a form of centralised stewarding. And in that sense, I think a benefit has been seen from it on this occasion. Let's move on and talk about what's happening on the race course. And we will start with, well, I say on the race course, technically it's on the race course. Constitution Hill did turn up to a race course yesterday, uh, but not for a horse race, for a, for a public gallop. He went to Kempton Park. Nicky Henderson likes to use Kempton as a trialling ground before the festival to, to fine tune his his horses. I, I, it seems though everyone was delighted with, with Constitution Hill, Lee. Yes, and I think if you're watching this from the, the Sandown grandstands, you might have seen Constitution Hill because Nico de Boinville was wearing a luminous yellow top to make his identification that much easier. Um, as they went past the stands for the first time, Constitution Hill was sat in behind uh, two decent uh, stable companions, a horse with no name and Captain Morgs. Uh, and when they went round the second time, Constitution Hill was bounding clear with Nico de Bourneville not having to do much at all. Um, Nicky Henson, who does enjoy these pre-Cheltenham gallop strips to Kempton, was extremely pleased, as you would expect. Um, he joked that he'd been hunting the country for a miler, who he could uh, use to jump in halfway down the back straight of a gallop with Constitution Hill, but he hadn't been able to find one. Nico de Bonville was extremely pleased as well. And if you are a Constitution Hill backer, you'll just probably be pleased as well to have seen that he is alive and well and moving smoothly because, of course, this close to Cheltenham Festival, any connections of top horses, any punters who are connected to top horses are always fretting, will that horse actually get there? Well, if you are in Team Constitution Hill, and I would imagine that most people in the sport are in Team Constitution Hill, not financially, but emotionally, because I think most people are hoping that he will go and do something extraordinary on the first day of the Cheltenham Festival. They will have been delighted um, with what they saw. And that wasn't the only bit of news to come from those 
uh, Kempton workouts, um, Nick, uh, Nicky Henson was also saying that his mindset now is moving towards running Marie's Rock in the Paddy Power Stayers hurdle on the Thursday, as opposed to in the Close Brothers Mayors hurdle on the Tuesday. It seems as though, from what Nicky was saying yesterday, that Epitaph might be moving towards uh, the Mayors hurdle as opposed to the Champion. Yeah, that hurdle. was a, that was a bit confusing. I thought. I, I thought there were quotes that that were rather contradictory. One saying that the options were still open. The other, wouldn't it be nice if they all had an opportunity to win their respective races? So. Yeah. I would, yeah. I'd be, I'd be mindful of that. I suppose non-runner, no bet. It doesn't really matter now, but I, I'd be mindful of that. I, I was quite tempted just to sling a, sling a tenner on Epitomp for the champion hurdle at thirty-three to one or whatever at non-runner, no bet, just in case she rocks up there. Well, as you say, there's, there's absolutely nothing um, to lose in doing that. Actually, with Epitomp in the mayor's hurdle, it's non-runner, no bet, no entry at the moment because she has to be supplemented. Um, for the race, but but Nikki has made very clear that um, he in his head he views her as being in the race. Uh, it's very difficult, isn't it, to try and read these things at this stage? But my hunch is that they are minded towards running Epitant in the mayor's hurdle against um, well, actually against Honeysuckle Etal because it's a cracking looking um, mayor's hurdle as opposed to the champion hurdle. And I think Marie's Rock will go for the the stayers hurdle um there's a possibility that the stayers hurdle won't take much more winning than the mayor's hurdle now that's not to say it's not a fascinating race it's a really deep race this year but there doesn't appear to be one one superstar in there lots of very good horses but not one who has stood out as maybe we've had in previous years um and i just wonder if there's a possibility that murray's rock could actually improve for the extra distance and with the sex allowance, I, I think she'd be a well. She'd be she'd be my fancy anyway. I suspect that connections are coming round to that way of thinking as well. Well, I wonder whether Tom Palin from Midland Park Racing agrees and uh, fancies the idea of the stairs hurdle for Marie's Rock. Uh, you've been you've been rolling this round with Nicky Henderson for for a couple of months now, Tom, uh, and it sounds as though you're all leaning the longer way. Is that right? Um. <laughs> I'd say I'd say we're still sort of fifty fifty. Um, it's it's something that would probably go around in my head at every hour of every day, just what's right and what's not. Ultimately, we don't need to make a decision until the twelfth of March. That's when we either have to declare for the mayors or we don't have to. Um, there's still a few horses who are um, question marks for the stayers hurdle, isn't there? Um, I think Blazing Carls and Flooring Porters. They're not. They're not confirmed yet. And, um, you know, there's a little bit of rain around. We might just have to see what the ground is. But she she could well take in the stairs. She could well still take in the mares. I mean, it sounds as though your trainer fancies going up, doesn't it, from what he was saying yesterday? Yes. And to be fair, he's made no bones about it. All year, he's kind of had a hankering for um, seeing her over three miles. And I must concede, after that demolishing of a high-quality roll keel field, um, knowing we were a little bit undercooked still, uh, I'd be very intrigued to see her over three miles. It's just the lore of three miles at Cheltenham um, in, at the festival. You know, Cheltenham is pretty much a holy grail. It, you could, one could angle and have been a bit safe, a bit careful by going for the mayor's hurdle again with her. But, you know, big books won many stairs hurdles and nobody really angled any criticism at him for kind of sticking to what he knew. As far as your other contender is concerned for Cheltenham, Red Risk, has he slightly gone under the radar for the Coral Cup? I thought that was a very good run at Kempton. 
It was. I, I, I still think he kind of won the Lanzarote, but he just got denied in the very last few strides there. Um, yeah, he's had his he's had his moments where he's been a very useful horse and then never kind of repeated them. So what we've done completely different this year is um, just spaced out his runs. He's only had the two starts this year. We think he is a horse who goes very well fresh, and that's exactly what we've been wanting to do. So he comes here fresh, well fit. Whether the undulating track at Cheltenham suits him, that's the question mark. But um, like we think he is a high-quality horse. He's always worked like one. He goes for a great two in Toy next in the middle of June. So this is quite a nice stopping point along the way for his owners. Tom, thanks so much. No worries at all. Thank you. Well, you know that the Cheltenham Festival is really and truly approaching when the gentle thud of the Weatherby's Cheltenham Festival betting guide hits your, your doormat. Uh, Paul Ferguson is the author of this excellent uh, aid memoir and guide to what might be the winners at the Cheltenham Festival, and he joins me now. Paul, I'm sure this is a, a huge labour of love and a great pleasure putting this all together. What what gives you the most satisfaction year on year? Hi, Nick. Um, yeah, to be honest, I was just seeing the finished article. This, uh, obviously, in... When you compare it to the other publication that I produced at the start of the year, which is 99% of my own work, jumpers follow. It's nice um, having the additional contribution of some um, excellent guest authors in this and pulling it all together. It's a hectic last couple of weeks, and this year it was uh, worse than ever with the news that was to miss the um, festival. Obviously, unfortunate for connections, but it, it happened just as we were about to go to print, so there was a, a lot of last-minute um, amendments being made, and uh, but we got there in the end. And luckily, you had Shishkin to ease his way um, seamlessly into into Alaho's spot. I, I suppose. Uh, what what are you what are you going for in terms of trying to cover all the angles with the, with the different strands of editorial? You've got some really notable contributors: Graham Cunningham, Roy Delaghi, Don McLean, Jess Stafford, Sam Turner. Uh, yeah, that's it, really, and, and that's the, the, the thought process behind. Since when I took over authorship of the book. This is obviously the 24th year of the Weatherby's Guide, but I've been writing it for five years and my aim's always been to make it more appealing to a wider audience. So whilst the statistics and trends are obviously the main um, components of the, of the book, I did actually want to bring a lot more editorial and touch upon the horses more themselves. So um, I do a lot of that myself, but then uh, we've changed the authors around the last couple of years, but the uh, the team sheets the same this year, as you say. There's some excellent contribution in there. Graham stuff in particular is really good. Jess Stafford looks at things from a pedigree point of view and the breeding angles. Sam Turner looks at daily selections. Rory Delaghi, as he has done in previous years, takes on the banker or bust process where he looks at some of the short price favourites throughout the week. And Don McLean takes a real in-depth look at the Irish view. And in terms of the horses that you've flagged up, Early in the season, in your in your beginning of the season guide, have any of them come come good for you at this stage? Um, yeah, I've got a couple going um, heading to the festival with leading chances, um, as you say, and jumpers to follow. Uh, got there's hundreds of horses who feature, but the forty leading prospects are the ones I try and focus on. Um, two of those who, who are looking to head to Cheltenham with leading chances would be Mighty Potter um, and Lossy Mouth. Lossy Mouth again, that'd be a um, particularly pleasing if she went and won the um, triumph hurdle because she was highlighted on the back of having just won that one start at Otoy when I thought she was pretty impressive despite diving to her left and veering off um, course and she's been pretty good obviously she was slightly unlucky in defeat in um, the spring juvenile hurdle but 
Um, again, then if you look at the trends for this race, seven of the past 11 Triumph winners um, came out of the Spring Juvenile at the Dublin Racing Festival, and uh, four of them were actually beaten there. So if you are a fan of Lossy Mouth, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't lose too much sleep over the fact that she was beaten in that grade one. All right, well, you managed to nail State Man last year for the County Hurdle, and I don't suppose you, you had too many moments uh, doubt. Uh, have you got a handicapper for us this time that you, you particularly like? Uh, yeah, there's only one. Um, we're speaking now on um, Tuesday evening. Obviously, by the time listeners get this, we might just about be ready to see the uh, weights being unveiled. But um, one handicapper I've, I've had interest in initially, and that's, again, in the County Hurdle, and that's Pembroke, trained by Dan Skelton. Dan has a good record in the race, a strong travelling um, novice hurdler. And the key key with him is that he's had the four runs, which there'll be a lot of novice hurdlers who won't qualify for the, the handicaps this year. Uh, I thought he looked, I wouldn't say a non-stayer, but he certainly looked in the classic novice hurdle on trials there as though coming back and trip would suit, I think, a stiff two-mile two one on a new course. Uh, will really suit him, I say, as he tra- travels really strongly. A mark of 136 looks fair. I'll be looking to him to run a big race for the Skeletons. Author Paul Ferguson there for the Weatherby's Cheltenham Festival betting guide. And there's a discount code by word we're giving away all sorts today on the show for Nick Luck Daily Podcast listeners. If you want the uh, Cheltenham Festival betting guide, it is excellent as well and and very uh, digestible. Uh, Just quote Luck23, Luck23 on the website and that will give you £4 off print or digital edition or the print digital bundle. Luck23 for the Weatherby's Cheltenham Festival Betting Guide 2023 from Paul Ferguson. Let's switch our attentions now to to flat racing. It's a big blow for John and Thady Gosden, who have had so much success. John Gosden has had so much success in his career, but the new market classics, they haven't eluded him entirely, but he's only won one ever. That was with Lahan in the 1,000 guineas. Never won a 2,000 guineas. Commissioning, absolutely rock-solid contender for the 1,000 guineas this year. And Leash has been retired. Yeah, that's a remarkable stat, isn't it, Nick, um, regarding John Goss, and, and one that um, hadn't necessarily dawned on me um, before, but he certainly won't be winning the Kipco 1000 Guineas with commissioning. He won't win the, the, the anything with, with commissioning because one of last season's um, back-end stars has been retired. Um, yesterday was the day when the entries um, came out for the, the two guineas, the 1,000 guineas and the 2,000 guineas. Commissioning did not feature among those entries. And John Gosden um, reported that she had sustained an injury to her left hind fetlock. Despite being given time to heal, she says, she sadly not recovered sufficiently and the decision has been made to retire her from racing. She's already gone off to uh, the Warrens High Clear Stud and um, she will have a, a new career. But a real shame, she was the, the filly who gave Rob Havlin a first Group 1 victory in the Phillies mile last season. There was an expectation that she would be one of the early uh, British um, key players in Frankie's, Frank Dettori's, um what is expected to be his farewell tourner. Um, but she won't be going there. And as a result, Dermot Weld as the clear 1,000 guineas favourite in Terea. In other news, uh, Lee, Keith Dalgleish, who had to call time on his very promising career in the saddle owing to, to weight issues, has uh, what some people will feel drawn a, a premature end to his training career. But it's been a very successful one in a very short period of time and for unconventional reasons as well, which are quite nice unconventional reasons, I think. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we have heard um, rather too much 
in the last uh, year or two about trainers having to abandon training careers because it was no longer financially viable for them to continue. Keith Dalgleish has decided that he wants to stop training because he's still young enough to do something else in his life and he thought he might like to try something, doing something else. Um, I've got to be honest, again, as as with that stat about John Gusden and his um, lack of success in the guineas at Newmarket, um, I was actually really surprised that Keith Dalgleish has won as many races as he has. That's not to um, do him down. It just, it, I, I just was surprised that he's won 799 races on the flat, 153 over jumps. He's been extremely successful. Um, but he's decided that he will stop training at some point this year. Hasn't set a date. If you add those two numbers up, 799 and 153, you see he's not a million miles off 1,000 winners. It looks like that might be the point at which he decides um, that uh, enough will be enough for now. He speaks about having fallen in love with cycling um, during lockdown um, and that he might do a bit of bit more of that uh, when he stops training. But in some ways, Nick, I think this sort of thing surprises us more than it necessarily should. In the real world, outside of, of horse racing, people do decide now and again to go off and do something completely different um, with their lives. I think we tend to believe that once you've entered this racing bubble, um, you stay inside that bubble almost until the bubble is pricked for you. Um, Keith is talking a, a really positive about doing something different with his life. Hasn't fallen out of love with racing, but he's young enough to do something different. And why shouldn't he? And I send him my very best wishes. All right. Well, Later this week, I've got the good fortune to be heading back to Miami. I know get the violin out again, this time for the Fountain of Youth Stakes as part of the uh, NBC broadcast that you'll be able to see from Gulfstream and Santa Anita, featuring seven races in a, an absolutely packed show. Uh, the Fountain of Youth Stakes is an established race en route to the Kentucky Derby, normally a prelude to the Florida Derby as well. And it features the, I guess, what you would call the current anti-post favourite for the Derby, Todd Pletcher's Forte, who won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Very, very uh, tenacious horse. Looking forward to seeing him back from a, a stable that has a very strong hand this year in the three-year-old division. But, 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 but. Look down the list, you find a once-race horse in this in this race. Pretty unusual uh, path to, to a race of this prestige for Mage, a son of the Kentucky Derby runner-up Good Magic, trained by Gustavo Delgado and co-owned by Ramiro Restrepo, who joins me now. Ramiro, just tell me a little bit about the story of this of this horse and how he's ended up here so early in his career. Uh, sure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me, Nick. Um, I was at the Phasic uh, Tipton Timonium two-year-old sale and uh obviously i do have a role with basic tipton and uh but i also have my own bloodstock agency and um i was you know we were watching the breezes and gustavo delgado jr and i uh you know have teamed up the last couple of years to buy courses at the sales and um he had an eye-catching breeze that day and uh he was one of the later horses in the sale we wanted to uh you know kind of swing harder than usual uh our sales average is never you know in the two hundred and ninety thousand dollar range it wasn't something that i was expecting but um you know we wanted to really try to, to to swing for the fences on one and 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 we did uh we walked the sales grounds together looked at a couple prospects and we were really fortunate to get this colt um good magic is a 
was a horse that was you know getting a lot of uh, buzz and attention at the sales, and at the same time, his dam Puka was owned by uh, Jerry Crawford and Donegal Racing. That's a, a very good friend of mine, and I remembered the dam. You know, clearly she she broke her maiden by like 17 lengths at Belmont and uh, had a terrible trip in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies in 2014 and could have won it with a, with a cleaner trip. So, you know, when little things like that speak to you and then you go see the horse in, in person and he looked just like good magic, Nick. He, he's, a, he's a clone of, of, of his daddy and uh, his breeze was was phenomenal. And we gave it a swing and, and, and we're fortunate to get him. Um Gave him about a month after the sales, and you know we've just been bringing him along. And uh, I remember as we were getting closer to to his maiden races, uh, you know Papa Delgado, the, the trainer uh, Gustavo Delgado Senior, you know had this race circled on Pegasus Day, and uh, we know that, that on a big day like that, everybody's going to try to bring their 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 you know the, their best uh, foot forward with a with a exciting maiden on such a big day and. Uh, you know, we we were expecting a big performance, but obviously, you know, when they when they prove it on the on the track, it's it's that much more amazing. So, you, you obviously you obviously didn't you obviously didn't tell any, anyone you were expecting a big performance because he still paid he still paid eleven eleven dollars sixty. <laughs> yeah, he was eleven to one, and I had a lot of friends calling me after calling me a, a cold watering uh, buddy, but. Uh, you know, you. <laughs> I didn't want to be chased out the village about my friends if, if the colt was just a morning glory and didn't back it up. But you know, privately, uh, you know, we were we were quite confident, and um, you know, he he, he proved it. Um, you know, Gustavo has a funny quote. He came out in this Indian Charlie uh, leaf note that goes around where he says, uh, "You can't win if you don't run," and. Uh, in the past, he's he's gone from a maiden to a big race and had pretty good results. He did it with um, Majesto, who ran second to Nyquist in the grade one Florida Derby off a of maiden. He did it with Bodie Express uh, coming off a of maiden uh, runner-up uh, to run second to maximum security in the grade one Florida Derby. And uh, he did it uh, with a lightly raced colt as well to run third in the Founder of Youth last year with a colt of ours named O'Captain. So, you know, he, he's got experience. Uh, Gustavo's an amazing trainer who I don't think has gotten his flowers uh, after, you know, being more than capable to win grade ones at Saratoga and Churchill Downs. And, you know, he, he won every race in Venezuela at a dist- with horses going a distance of ground. And, look, he, um, he calls the shots and he, uh, he sees the horse in great condition. And, look, if this was later on in the year, Nick, maybe, you know, we might try an allowance, but... If you take two shots to get some derby points and, you know, if you're ever going to take on uh, Mike Tyson, two Mike Tysons like like Forte and Blazing Stevens, why not take a shot when they're coming off a, off a big layoff and, the, and our Colt is doing really well? And, you know, it's, it's his home court. He's going to run out his backyard. So we're, 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 uh, we're going to give it a run. Mage by good magic. Ramiro, I hope that you can pull the rabbit out of the hat and uh, cast a magic spell on on Saturday evening. I'll see you there at Gulfstream Park, and maybe this is going to be the start of a of a derby dream. And if it is, you heard it on the Nick Luck Daily podcast first. Ramiro Restrepo, thanks so much. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me. Take care, my man. Ramiro Restrepo. Uh, tomorrow, incidentally, on the podcast, you'll be able to hear a, 
a lengthy discussion between me and uh, American broadcaster Mike Joyce from FanDuel about the current ballot for the American Hall of Fame. And Mike's fascinating. He talks about East Coast, West Coast bias, about horses and riders who should be in, shouldn't be in, have been put in that maybe shouldn't have been. And we go through each and every one of the contenders this year and amongst them are Arrogate and California Chrome and uh, trainers like Kieran McLaughlin and Graham Motion uh, and, and others. And, and we, we talk about all of them and that'll be on the podcast tomorrow. I mean, you can say what you want and people do about whether or not people should be in in the United States, but it, it provokes and engenders debate. And yeah, that's the absolute key to this. Absolutely. And in, in, I think really neat. The, the, the former reason, the, not so much the honouring, but getting debate is the most important aspect of a Hall of Fame. Um, it was an extremely positive move when uh, Great British Racing uh, led the way and introduced a Hall of Fame into the sport over here. Now, it will need to be, I think, um, embedded for much longer and increasingly embraced by racing yeah. fans before well, we have that over here it needs to be it needs to be curated properly doesn't it so so they, i think um you know rod street has always wanted it and i'm i've full um credit to him for actually getting it going getting a physical manifestation of it in newmarket as well so it's there but i think now it's up to the people who who run it or manage it that, that there is a degree of consistency in in the way that it is administered so people know when the ballot's coming out they know when there's a vote they know when the, there just has to be a kind of there has to be a system whereby it stimulates interest rather than some some little ad hoc things happening when someone gets around to to dusting it off again I think that's right. And, and I also think that what would be really helpful, Nick, is if we have a mindset that says, OK, um, American racing, Australian racing really benefit from Hall of Fame. Um, it's a discussion topic. When talk, people talk about their top jockeys or trainers, they will often say Hall of Fame jockey, Hall of Fame trainer. Now, I think for us to be able to do that, we have to take a view that we should have been doing this for a long time. And instead of saying every now and again, we're going to go back through the history of the sport and say that, um, for example, Michael Stout is now entering the Hall of Fame or uh, Warwick is entering the Hall of Fame. I almost think you have to go, a group of people have to go back through the history of British horse racing up to now and come up with a definitive list of the people who have gone in the past who we believe should be in a Hall of Fame, so that these are our Hall of Fame trainers in the history of horse racing up to now in Britain, and therefore anyone who is now an active participant is in live contention to be in the Hall of Fame, because the, the, the danger is if you start from where we've started and you just hand-pluck a few people um every year that people who are around now maybe don't get looked on in in the yeah. right way I, yeah. I i i would say these you know these are people that we should think should be in a hall of fame and as of now that that's who we've got so far that's who you are benchmark against and if you want to in the hall of fame now you're competing against these people Agreed. One person who is unlikely to get into the Hall of Fame anytime soon is American trainer Rick Dartrey. You'll remember him from Big Brown. He served a 10-year suspension but he is back, Lee. He is, yes. So it was again um, announced on uh, Monday evening our time that the New York State Gaming Commission's executive director had um, expressed support 
for the reinstatement of Rick Dutrow's license. Anyone uh, listening to this pod in the States will very much know about uh, Rick Dutrow had uh, tremendous success, particularly with his dual triple crown uh, winning horse, Big Brown, into the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness in 2008. Um, Rick Dutrow is a trainer who, across his career, had a string of of violations, uh, medication violations, and ultimately they led to him receiving a 10-year suspension. Um, That came up in January. He has reapplied uh, for his licence, and it looks like he's set to resume racing. Just one qualification to that, Nick. Um, Naira, the New York Racing Association, was asked if it would allow Dutro to stable horses on its tracks, and its vice president for comms, Pat McKenna, said Naira will review an application for store space should Mr Dutro submit one in the future. But it looks positive for Rick Dutro to not only try to start uh, Sli- slightly, un- slightly unfortunate choice of adjective there, <laughs> but yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, it, yeah. Looks, it looks promising for Rick Dutro anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, it does. Um, not just to rebuild his uh, career, but also to try and rebuild his extremely damaged reputation. Right. Um, your reputation is fully intact. If if, oh. if, I, if I don't give Cornelius Lysett credit for tipping yet another winner two days ago, he may never speak to me again because he's been doing very well on this podcast. Uh, can you follow him in this afternoon? Well, sadly, I don't have a horse with whom um, I have the same emotional attachment um, that uh, Cornelius clearly had uh, to his winner yesterday. So I, I'm, I'm just I'm looking at it with a a colder, harder head, and it probably won't do me the same amount of good as Cornelius had yesterday, Nick. But I'm going to go for the 3.45 at Wincanton, a race course I inadvertently drove past, um, Nick, yesterday. I was driving back from visiting Martin Pipe for a feature, and unfortunately, my Google map froze on my screen. So it kept saying, go four for 3.9 miles. And it took me 29 to 20 miles to realise that that was taking me in the wrong direction because the screen had frozen. So I drove past Wincanton Racecourse where they race today and I expect any news to be successful in the 345. He's a decent hurdler for Neil Mulholland. Hasn't been as good over fences, but there were definite signs of a return to form. He travelled strongly in a race at Kempton last time. And I'm tipping him to win the 345, the John Romans Park Homes Handicap Chase. All right, Lee, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Wednesday, the 1st of March. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.